And we just believe that there's a better way of treating people, that there's a better way of just designing things from the inside out, and that that will result in these much larger changes to the simplest things that we have at things as simple as a, as a t-shirt. Hi, I'm Braden Parker, the co-founder of Casca, and you're listening to A Lot to Learn, a series of candid discussions that tackle challenging and interesting topics designed to highlight diversity of experience and thought. Today, I have a conversation with my good friend, fellow entrepreneur, and co-host, Mike Reed. How are you doing, folks? Along with Ben Sale, the co-founder of the sustainability-minded brand Cotton, K-O-T-N. Cotton is a purpose-driven apparel company that is changing the way people look at sustainability. They look at the entire apparel ecosystem with a holistic lens and to date have built seven schools, funded 690 farms, and impacted over 30,000 lives in rural Egypt. We sat down with Ben and discussed what it means to be sustainable and how we can all put our best foot forward when it comes to sustainability. Thank you, Ben, for the great insights and for sharing your thoughts on the future with us. Enjoy the show. Friends, 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 how you doing? My name is Mike Reed, our lovely co-host, Braden Parker. And we also have Ben Sale here. Ben Sale is the co-founder and chief digital officer of Cotton, spelt K-O-T-N. He hails from Kitchener, Ontario, currently lives with his wife and business partner in Toronto, Ontario. Fun fact, Ben, correct me if I'm wrong, you've created a Chrome extension to help you get shit done better and be more focused? <laughs> that that is true how do i get my hands on this how did you know that <laughs> we have a crack team of um journalists and researchers called google <laughs> we google all of the things yeah i made a i made a chrome extension because i was sick of having to go to all these different places to see my tasks and calendar and stuff and so every time i open a new tab it just tells me my tasks from asana where people like assign me stuff i have a different app that I use called height where I track my own tasks and then Google calendar. And so it tells me like, okay, what do I got to get done today? What's my next meeting on the, on the agenda. So I can always just stay focused and know what's up next. What? Right. That's crazy. Right. Why are you working on cotton for? You got the future of productivity <laughs> in your hands. <laughs> uh, Google's building it. I'm just, I'm just pulling stuff into one place. Wow. That is cool. Is it actually available online? Uh, no, it's just like, um, I, I have to make an account with Google. I, I like tend to take my hobby projects to like just the level where uh, I can't make any money off them and then kind of stop there. <laughs> and so, yeah, this is maybe at that stage. I do have a bit of a plan to turn into an actual product. I bought a nice domain name and all that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's that's sort of a goal for later in the year. Wow. I would use that for sure. I need this on my browser. I am Captain ADHD. The only reason why I'm able to function like a normal, um, productive human being is because I force myself into these boxes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I need these, these like buffers to kind of like create things. Like a lot of the stuff that I do and a lot of, I'm definitely not a type A person, um, naturally, but, uh, when I was in grade nine, um, I was getting a 20% in math and my mom was like, Ben, what the hell's going on? Like this sucks. And so, uh, maybe not those words, but then <laughs> we were looking at the tests and stuff and I was just like not completing the test. I wasn't really doing stuff and started looking into it and I went to psychiatrist and then found out, uh, that yeah, I got pretty bad ADHD. So, um, mm -hmm. I started working with, uh, counselors and stuff to figure out different ways to, you know, different strategies to 
uh, helped me improve and um, what got medication. Um, and I do, you know, practice meditation and stuff like that too. Nice. Um, and then since then, then that year I went from a 20% math to uh, 86 and then the next, and then I went on to just like take every math course in high school and then did math as a minor to pull my grades up. I uh, loved math. Um, and then that parlayed into stuff like computer science and stuff like that. Uh, but also, um, really loved design. So I, I ended up going more of the design route, um, with, with dabbling a bit in code. So. Yeah. So, uh, I, I hear you, man, on, on time boxing. Wow. That is such a cool story. Thanks. Yeah. I feel like ADHD is such a, a common thing that, I mean, everyone knows someone who, who has struggled with it. Um, but it is like, I mean, I feel like some of the best innovators and the best founders and, and some of the best people have like ADHD or they'll have dyslexia or like, you know, kind of like, has been seen it, it i feel like it can almost be a superpower oh 100 um, percent has been my superpower yeah I, I don't know if you guys subscribe to the idea of like everything happens for a reason i don't know if i actually do but i do believe that everything can be a reason for something else and so hmm. can you use challenges that you face in life to transform into something greater and help you achieve something larger and i, I you know i'm fortunate to not have had that many challenges in my life honestly i've i'm like pretty privileged um, I'm like a straight white male, uh, everything's kind of like comes pretty easy to me, uh, <laughs> for like on a societal level. Um, but this is definitely one thing. Um, and I try not to take that for granted and I try and use that in the best way I can. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's, that's one thing. You play the hand you're dealt. That's right. And so on that, on that note, let's talk about Cotton's mission. Yeah. Getting to Cotton's mission, I, I think I'll back up a couple of steps. And um, it really started from a, a fairly naive place. Mike and I, before uh, before we started recording, we're just chatting about uh, clothes and like, you know, the sort of naivety that that um, we had towards it. And uh, when we were starting, I was just wearing a lot of white T-shirts. You know, I was, I was living in New York at the time. My wife wasn't was just a girlfriend at the time. And, and um, I had two kinds of white T-shirts. I had these, these really cheap ones. They're like the, the Supreme branded Hanes ones, uh, mm-hmm. cause it gave me enough clout, but it was still like, you know, fit my bank account. And mm. then, uh, and then I had like rag and bone and James purse and, and, um, brands like that. And so some were five bucks and some were a hundred bucks. And it was kind of crazy to me that I was like, I'm pretty much only wearing white t-shirts this summer, but I saved some for the weekend. Cause I don't want to get pit stains on them. Uh, and then some <laughs> are my dailies and then, and the quality change was drastic. Uh, but like, I, I'm not rich, so I couldn't afford to wear these like hundred dollar ones all the time. I only had a couple and, uh, and I also felt kind of foolish. And if somebody said, Oh, is that that's such a nice shirt? Is that James person? Like, Oh, uh, I got it on sale or something, you know? And I felt like I was either making an excuse, uh, for the cheap stuff. Like if somebody complimented me on something that I was wearing, I'd say, Oh, I got it from Zara. And so it's like, not that good. And I'd kind of make an excuse or, um, or I'd say, Oh, I got it on sale or, or I'd sort of downplay it. Um. And I just found like making excuses for that stuff was, was, was bad. And so, um, I thought, Hey, like want to make a, a, another t-shirt, like let's make a white t-shirt and make this basics company. Um, and since like beginning of high school, I've always had this kind of idea to, to do clothing. I, I I'm glad nothing got off the ground because my ideas back then were, were, were not as, <laughs> I don't know if I have the best ideas now, but they definitely weren't uh, as good back then. And so, um, yeah, so we started looking into it. Um, a, a colleague of mine at the startup I was at um, has this company or had this company called um, uh, Public Supply that make notebooks. And um, they're just these like really nice notebooks and 10% of the sales go to help um, uh, uh, 
fund scholarships um, in in schools in the U.S., uh, which I didn't really realize was going to parlay so directly into stuff that I was doing later. But we started mm-hmm. looking into it, and I just thought it was cool that he was doing this thing on the side um, that I already thought was cool before I even met him. And so we started looking into it. Um, I was talking to my wife. She previously came from Holt Renfrew um, doing fashion direction there. And so then, um, uh, yeah, we started to embark on this path. And then I called up Rami, my our, our other co-founder, he had just quit his job. Um, and him and I were working on this travel app, uh, at the time, uh, not making it very far on it, the idea, but at least sort of scratching the surface. And he kind of threw that out and said, Hey, like this other thing you're working on sounds way more feasible. Um, hmm. like, can I be involved? And, uh, Rami's the kind of guy where you get him involved and like, you just go from zero to a hundred immediately. So, um, next thing you know, he had, he had planned this like six month trip through South America, cancels the trip. He was in Egypt for a family wedding. He like talks to his mom about this idea. She says, oh, you know, like your, um, your grandpa like came from this region where they farm Egyptian cotton and like it's, the, you know, the best cotton in the world and you should go check it out and da, da, da. And, and then like the next day or something like that, Kanye West comes out with this plain white t-shirt with APC that's made of 100% Egyptian cotton and it costs 120 USD. I was like, this is exactly what I'm talking about. I want this level of quality and just like coolness but i can't afford 120 bucks for like a plain white tee and so uh next thing you know rami's like living on farms in egypt um and because we had no idea how to make clothes and we didn't know that you could just go to a sourcing agent or something so we just figured i guess we need cotton and so um so he goes to these farms we guess we need, you went from from the beginning of it like well how do you make a shirt i think we can talk to a farmer well, man, yeah, we you know cotton. The thing is, I, 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 you know, I'm in, for lack of better words, I'm like a UX designer now. But I, I've, I'm, uh, I've always been somebody that really likes to know how things work. And you know, I'd get like the the Game Boy or whatever when I was a kid, and I'd like tear it apart, and my parents would be pissed. But I was like so curious to see how, what the chips looked like, and it was just so cool to see like how do these little mechanics go. And so I, I don't know if that, there wasn't like a conscious decision, but it was definitely an overlying trend of like let's let's try and break it down. And, and Rami's somebody that just like loves to just do the best possible in the world. Like he just has the craziest ambition. So, um, so anyway, so he started to dig in there. Um, and as we started to dig into it, uh, we started to see like the guts, you know, it's like, you, you don't want to, it's like the wizard of Oz thing peeking behind the curtain. And now you start to see how this thing's made like the sausage factory. Right. And so, um, and, and then all of a sudden we're starting to see like, oh, shit, this is not good. Like this, process is insane first of all it's just not even efficient there's middlemen like crazy like at the same time casper was starting to uh, become a thing everlane had been out for a couple years and so we knew about direct to consumer and people were talking about chopping out the middlemen and retail and all this margin that you save and da 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 and then we're seeing hey there's even more mess behind the scenes like mm-hmm. so, so there's like five you know uh, there's in traceability, um, which is a, a term we talk about a lot, there's sort of like five tiers. There's um, basically starting from raw materials, ending up at finished product, or for us, it's cut and sew when it's when you're talking about garments. And so those um, in those five tiers, there's all these brokers, there's all these people. And what happens is the final value that you pay, let's say a hundred dollars for a sweatshirt or something like that, um, that where it's making it's not an even distribution down to the people who are farming that the people who are really responsible for those raw materials that actually make that thing possible it's like just orders of magnitude smaller and they're getting by on nothing and they have so 
little. And then moreover than that, it's, um, you know, it's all like government subsidized because entirely left to the private market, it wouldn't work at all. And so in the US and China and um, some of the the heavier hitters in, in cotton production, um, they're like heavily, heavily subsidized by the government. And so we're looking at this, we're like, oh my gosh, this is not even good at all. Uh, and then um, we're a couple months into it, we're starting, we don't even have a factory yet. We don't know how we're going to make this stuff. And all of a sudden, Egypt, uh, the Egyptian government pulled subsidies from these farmers. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. This whole industry is going to collapse uh, unless we do something as if we thought, you know, we could change an industry. <laughs> uh, but so then uh, thankfully they've, they've brought back some subsidies since then, but we thought, hey, we got, what if we just subsidize them ourselves? And that was the first, hmm. that was the first um, step on uh, so- social responsibility that uh, we took uh, was just seeing that that change and, and, uh, feeling a call to action to, to come and do something. And it's, it's funny when you said, what's our purpose? It's like one of these things that as founders, I think you just do so much with your gut and so much with your intuition. And you have, if you have co-founders, you have a shared understanding, but it's hard to articulate a lot of that stuff. And, um, it's not something that we've been able to really greatly articulate, honestly, for a long time. And I I don't know if maybe we just don't brag about enough because it's like a Canadian humility thing or what, but it's Mm -hmm. definitely been pretty hard. And now that we're a larger team, especially remote, we've started to feel a little bit of this like wobble of shoot is every is everybody here clear on like why we're doing this? And everybody has a general sort of sense, but you know, words like sustainability and stuff like that get thrown around a lot. And so we, uh, uh, we've recently been really, um, embarking on, on trying to put some words towards this. And, and I think we're getting to a pretty good place, but overall our, our, our mission is, and vision. Um, uh, I guess I'll start with our vision and cause that actually was clear from the early days and the vision, um, really started when we had this conversation with Rami's uncle, who's, who's a politician in Egypt. And he was talking to us about some of the overall uh, economics were happening over there. And we started to tell him about our idea. And he said, Oh, well, what if we built this like little pod of production and all of this stuff can happen and we can have like a, you know, um, bring the value chain. This was part of Rami's idea too, was like, bring some of that value, like 90% of the value chain is being captured through the distribution. What if we can redistribute some of that down to the people who are actually making this stuff. And in so doing, we're reinvesting into that supply chain and then we're building it up. And so we're sort of, you know, that teach a man to fish versus giving a man a fish. And and Mm -hmm. how can we actually like help these people? Not that we know how to do what to do, but we're at least some people that can help act as change agents to to help like them grow this so they're stronger themselves. And as a result, long-term, we'll be stronger as a company. And if this works out, we'll build out this ecosystem that's like self-improving and will be, you know, an unstoppable force. And he's starting to go like, this guy's like the most audacious person I've, I've ever met, I think. And he's starting to say like, oh, and you know, and then it'll be taking over the world with all this stuff. And that's what gets you into it. entrepreneurship as, as founders is this like naivety and belief that you can do something um, just dramatically better than uh, it, any of these Titans have done it before. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm thankful that I didn't know everything I know today. Otherwise I probably would not have started, but, uh, that's sort of where it started. It was to just believe that there was a better way of doing these things that the internet would allow us to, um, chop out a lot of the waste that we could take this, take some of those savings and reinvest them to do things better. And that we could fix on this stuff at the source. And we just believe that there's a better way of treating people, that there's a better way of, um, just designing things, um, from the inside out. And that that will result in these much larger uh, changes to the simplest things that we have at things as simple as a as a t-shirt. And so, part of our overall mission is just to really um, create these these things that last. And and 
one of these sayings now that we have is like, you know, for lasting ways of life. And we're really trying to create, um, you know, products, um, you know, communities and memorable moments that thrive and that are um, part of this like elevated but ethically driven lifestyle. And so, um, yeah, that's sort of, you know, how we sort of think about our, our vision and mission now um, mm-hmm. and, and where we're sort of going. So it really is, you know, people led because we want to have the right incentives so that people make the right choices to do the right things that lead to a better planet and a, and, and a better overall society. That's super amazing. And, and in some sense, like, I feel like that is the truest definition of sustainability. Um, I feel like nowadays you hear so much about, you know, just compostable materials, or you hear a lot about, um, just like simply like offsetting carbon and all of those things are, are good and the right thing. But I think for us to have an actual lasting impact, it does have to be a mental shift to how do we make this win-win? Like, how do you not go in and just like not, and it's so funny because it seems like it, it should be simple, but it's just never done this way of like, let's not maybe go in and destroy an entire um, small local economy and have all of the wastewater go into their water and just like take advantage of their resources and pay them the smallest possible amount that someone can even not live on. Like, I feel like the the previous generation just always did things that way. Mm-hmm. And I completely agree. Like we need to have a total mental shift and think about sustainability in a bigger way than purely yeah. material based or purely like after product lifestyle based. I think, I think you guys have nailed it in the sense of like, how do we do this in some sense? It's not even just D to C you guys are doing like raw cotton to see <laughs> yeah we, we we've been trying to come up with a good thing you know they say like farm to table with with food and all that and so we've been trying to come up with a good thing but we never really got there we had to farm to closet at one point but it didn't really feel right so i don't know but um i i think that's actually a good thing that you touched on there which was just around these decisions and you know i think it's like don't try and fight human nature like greed and ego and stuff like this like we know it's wrong but it's, there's such powerful forces. And so let's just like leverage that. Like, what if we can just design it so that you can leverage some of those powerful forces to, so that the outcome is right? Because the thing is, is people like fast fashion, these different people, nobody's making this choice to, hey, what if we just go like exploit a community and fuck it up to like uh, make a shit ton of money? Nobody says that. Like, that's not, that's not a board meeting that happens. It's a series <laughs> of misalignments on on goals and outcomes and what success looks like and then us and then a ton of really small decisions that no one um thinks is going to be that bad but that compound into systemic problems that affect huge huge swaths of populations this happens all over society and earlier um about a year ago we won uh this award on from the canadian um arts and 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 from Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards uh, called the Sustainability Award. Uh, it was presented by H&M, which you'd think, oh, weird, H&M. And, and, but part of the prize was that we uh, ended up getting flown over to Sweden to meet their sustainability team and hear about how, what they're doing, some of the practices. And they had a sustainability team that was about four times the size of our team in total. And so, uh, and, and these people care a lot and they're really, really smart and they really want to do things right. But H&M's got 170,000 employees. So you have so much momentum in, in a direction from so just such a huge history 
that it's so hard to change that course. And they're working really hard to do it, but there's a lot to do. And there's like the waste and stuff that comes from store closures, all these different types of things. If you're not designing the right inputs, you're not going to get the right outputs. And so one of the things that we did early on was that we worked with, um, so we got some, some great people that have helped us and some really great um, uh, uh, advisors. And uh, one of the things we did was we created this um, uh, map, basically. It was, okay, what are all the inputs in this thing? What are the assets that we have? We have humans, we have a little bit of money, we have, we have these clothes, we have these farms. Okay, what are the activities that we do? And then what are the outputs that happen from that? Okay, and so now with these outputs, what are the outcomes that we want to see in the world? And we created a, a flow chart and, and some things to say, what are the short term in terms of one year, two year, medium terms, like five to 10, and then long term goals of like 10 year plus that uh, we can say that these outcomes are actually going, going to, uh, or these outputs are going to match these outcomes. And this is a map where we can gut check ourselves. And it's not to say, hey, you know, there's one single goal. It was a map of everything. What are all the possibilities? But it helped us shape um, how we uh, model our business. And and we and the easiest thing to do is that this stuff is all painted for you. You can go to uh, the UN sustainability goals and we looked there and we said, okay, well, what do we care about? What's relevant to our business? And we took the ones that were relevant to us and we said, okay, well, how do we now start, you know, work from the back, like work, work from the end and, and work backwards and then figure out how do we map into these? And so that way we were able to build these different outcomes and we started to see um, things that ended up creating entirely new business strategies for us that have led to a lot of money, you know? And so um, some of those things are like, for instance, okay, well, in order to get, um, uh, you know, better cotton production, we have to get to this sort of scale. And so maybe in order to do that, we have to create these things. And then maybe other brands have to be able to leverage our same supply chain in order for us to hit this thing. And then that, in order, opened up these whole new categories of business that we started to dive into over the last couple of years that have been some of our most profitable and highest growing things and also lead to the best sustainability impacts and the best um, uh, like in terms of environmental annals and social responsibility. And so I think it's really just trying to, when you're starting something, one thing that I've, I've noticed even in our own business is like you do a lot of these things, you make decisions because you don't know, you think that the chance of success is probably so small. So it's like not that big of a deal, but like, what mm -hmm. if you're right? You know, what if it actually works beyond anything that you could have imagined? And right what now, even right, though we're a small like, company, we're, mm -hmm. it's, it's bigger than I thought it was going to be. And we were <laughs> right about some stuff. And so don't make that shit hastily, you know, like have a plan, like be pointed towards something and have some pre-planned stuff to check in and say, this is where I want to go. And here's how I'm going to hold myself accountable to make sure that we're doing it the right way. And that we're not like brushing this stuff under the rug, because that's how those bigger problems happen is, is too many small decisions got swept on the rug for too long. And then it compounded to something that was irreversible. And so did you guys feel like, was there a moment in time where you felt this kind of like, you felt like you needed to, to go through that or was, was it, did it, was it, is it more like hindsight looking back? You can see that like you guys made the right decisions. Did, I'm, I'm just like trying to think like, was mm -hmm. there like, how did you, what you just said is so powerful. How did that all come to be? Yeah. It's <laughs> again, I'll say it started from a, a, you know, a driving force, uh, that otherwise would be bad. It's greed. And so, uh, Rami's over in Egypt. He brought his camera with him. He was taking some pictures took a picture of this one. Uh, uh, it's probably on our Facebook page as the first picture we've ever taken. It's this young uh, girl named Shema. And she's just like this 
gorgeous young girl um, in this cotton field. And it was just like, oh my gosh, so heartwarming. And we had posted a couple little things on Facebook and whatever. We had we didn't have any product. We didn't have anything. We posted this thing. We said a little bit about her story. And it was our like most engaged thing. And so, you know, that's that thing of like, hey, what if we, you know, like, let's lean into this, right? Like, let's leverage this thing of like, oh, it's helping our growth. It's helping this stuff. Like, let's leverage greed for good. And so um, <laughs> that started pretty right away. Maybe we didn't have this whole path. Maybe we didn't have this whole plan. Um, and then fortunately, we didn't explode overnight. Like, it was really a grind for a long time. And that, um, I was pissed at the time. But, you know, through, f- for those first couple of years, it did give us a lot of opportunity to really think and make sure that are we pointing the right direction? And uh, it was early on, it was a little, a little less than five years ago when we first created that map. Um, and that was at the advice of somebody that's been there before. Um, uh, there's, there's one of our investors and, and strategic partners in general, and um, the uh, woman who works there named Alexandra, and she is this genius and, and really helped us shape a lot of that stuff. And we worked with her team to create this map. Um, and 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 yeah, that that's sort of what we've held ourselves to today. And and when we look back and we and we say, oh, what about this new idea? We look, we can look back and we can look at that map and say, does it plug into here? Does this still align with some of the outcomes? And what happens if we do this well? And and how does this sort of guide in the right direction? And ultimately, we just believe that you know, I mean, we know, like, we see the planet, right? If we do things the wrong way, we're all like plant's going to explode. It's just not going to work. So mm-hmm. it's got to be the right thing for us and the right thing for the world. And we think that the, the, the two things there and how they overlap are going to be a really, really powerful force. Um, and we're fortunate enough to see, you know, early on, we did see like, okay, sustain, like, um, you know, organic coffee, um, organic foods in the supermarket, these things are starting to happen. Traceability is starting to happen and people are starting to pay a little bit of a premium for that stuff. And so, uh, clearly there's a little bit of a need. Is it a mass market need? No, it's not, not yet. Um, but it's a trend mm-hmm. and it's going in that direction. And we think it's going to go there for a long time. And we think there's going to be a, a, a larger and larger percentage of the audience as as things go. And over time, as we start to figure out better systems, we're going to be able to make a lot of these things more affordable and more economical so that we can bring them to a larger uh, percentage of the population that otherwise, uh, you know, would love to participate but can't afford the costs that that happen right now. And so, um, you know, it's starting, starting small and we had the, the ability to do that because we were just three, three kids in, in my mother-in-law's basement. And then, uh, and then, you know, over time you, you sort of grow it. Yeah. I, I know that I know the basement feeling <laughs> in there. It's the classic story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you mentioned, um, that more and more brands are kind of trending in this direction, whether it's in food in the grocery store or the products we buy or kind of the choices that we make. You have this thing essentially called uh, greenwashing, which happens all the time with a whole bunch of brands where people are trying to leverage the idea of being environmentally friendly as a marketing tool. How do you as a brand that actually in its DNA is about taking care of the communities and the farms and making sure that your practices are moving more and more in a better and more sustainable uh, manner. How do you make sure that you're not just almost taking advantage of something, but actually helping the, the actual process and industry, right? Because I think it, it would be very easy for you folks to kind of be like, we're this, we're that, mm-hmm. this is why you should buy us. But I don't get that feeling when I'm on the cotton side about you folks shoving down everyone's throat that like, we're better because here's our checklist. Yeah. So I think there's two points to that. One was, uh, because sustainability wasn't that 
Like there were signals of it when we were starting, but it wasn't like this huge thing. We thought at the beginning that we've got to win on product first. We want to make people buy our thing because it's the best possible thing in the world. It's not because it's, and like sustainability and stuff layers into that, but we want to win because it's the best. We don't want you to compromise on the quality, on the design, on the feeling of any of that. And then, oh, but you know, it's nice that this is an added on. So there's, there's, there's that one piece. And then the other piece that to, to actually prevent, how do you actually do this? So that's one thing to say, but the other thing is you have to be accountable. So one thing that we did pretty early on was um, uh, apply and, and, and earn B Corp certification. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to just get B Corp certification. I think you need a score of like 80 to pass or something like that. We didn't, or I think it's maybe 60. And, um, and so we didn't want to just pass. I didn't want to be at the threshold. Like I want to be the best B Corp. I want to, I want to be so good that everybody else is trying to be better. And I want to be like chasing after number one. I'll tell you, number one is Patagonia. Those guys crush it. They're amazing. And like, so, uh, fortunately first, uh, when we applied, uh, and we submitted, uh, we had done actually so much well, it, it's cool. Cause B Corp assigns you a score. It's not based on to- like absolute output. It's based on your practices and, uh, how your business is designed. And it's also across a number of different criteria. And so we knew which criteria we cared about. We care about them all, but we know we can't do it all. And so we're going to focus on a couple. And so we really focused on community. And fortunately, when we applied and, and, and earned the certification, we also that year won best for the world in, in, community, uh, in community for for B Corp. And that's great, but you don't rest on your laurels. You don't stop there. You now try and, and improve those practices. So there's a few th- other things that we did. In the beginning, it was just the three of us. And then eventually we hired uh, a, a couple employees and, and now there's a few more. Um, but we, in, in part of it, uh, one thing that was happening in the very, very early days was uh, we would make stuff in Egypt, but we all lived in Toronto and we had to figure out how we fill, fill it over here. And we managed to get some sort of deal with DHL where they would just send their stuff directly from Egypt, but then we still had to pack it. And so we ended up using uh, like Rami's uncle's uh, accountant, uh, was this really sweet guy who, and thankfully we, well, thankfully for him, we weren't getting many orders. So he just fulfilled all our orders for us. Just at the end of his day, he'd go into his office and he'd just pack up our t-shirts and then send them straight from Egypt. And you get an order from your house right from Egypt. Um, wow. but yeah, what did, but, customer, but, what did customers think of that? <laughs> it was generally confused, but the packaging was also terrible. Cause it was just like the, the default packaging you get from DHL and not that many people look at the return label. So sometimes people would send us an email with the, with this snapshot and be like, this is crazy, but, um, <laughs> it didn't last for that long. I mean, it wasn't like we were, we were killing it right out of the gate. So, um, but one of the things that became pretty clear, I mean, one thing is in, uh, like, Mediterranean cultures, especially like just really, and, and in general with, uh, supply chains and manufacturers, relationships are huge and you have to build those over time. And we think that generally as well, like they're huge for us. Like I I try and, you know, I like to think of our team as like a sports team rather than a family, but it, there's definitely like a family feeling. Um, and you know, we love each other a lot and we try and build that trust. Um, but you have to build that trust and you have to spend face time. And so Rami spent just a ton of time, like I mean, Mackenzie, my wife was over in Egypt, uh, the year before the pandemic for four months out of the year. Um, and that's just for helping guide the design and she's not even our, our designer. And so that's just like to be over there with samples and all that sort of stuff. And I, I have spent maybe six months cumulatively there. And then Rami's there almost half the year. And then as we were growing, we, we ended up hiring a team there. And now we have a team of 10, uh, in, in Cairo and that's our, our second office. And actually now don't think that they're back at work. I think they're still remote, but, uh, um, 
once once we're remote, that'll be our only office and and so our largest. But uh, they are in the factories every day, and that's of course to make sure stuff's getting done on time, product quality's there, all that sort of stuff. But we're also doing all of our social projects in person. We're not just throwing it to some sort of. I mean, we partner with charities because they there are a number of organizations that do stuff better than us, um, but there are also things that we want to do ourselves. And so we, for instance, have, uh, if you look into our story, we, we, uh, build schools, um, and stuff like that. And, you know, we're there, uh, I have been able to go to them myself and get to meet the people and get to hear the thing. Cause you have to make sure that you're right. Um, you don't just want to throw something at a problem and assume that it's, that it's fixed. And then the other thing is that, you know, it's just like, we're there. And so one of the things, this is actually how we, how we discovered that schools were a thing was, we started with, as I mentioned in the beginning, was the government pulled subsidies. And so we said, okay, well, we got to give private subsidies. So we're going to do two things. We're going to give guaranteed pricing so we can say, hey, guys, don't flood your fields and switch and load rice and stick with us with cotton are going to guarantee you the same, this price. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also turned out, oh, well, I can't afford this. I can't afford this. I can't afford the cash flow is a big problem. So, okay, well, it's not actually that expensive for the scale that we're doing to just buy you guys some fertilizer. So we're going to pay for some of these fixed assets up front. It's going to come out of some of the stuff down the road. So it's win-win, uh, but it's going to ease some of your burden. And then, okay, well, now we go have to, in order to do that, we have to go to these farms and we have to bring fertilizer. So we, not me, but thankfully people on our team go up to uh, these farms are starting to hand out these fertilizer. In order to handle the fertilizer, we have to get them to sign, da da da, you know, those sorts of forms. The farmers come up and they come to sign the paper and they don't write their name. They just leave a thumbprint. And so, like, what's that about? Well, illiteracy is huge. It's a huge, huge problem. The fact is, that there's not just, there's just not schools going around. And so, these people, like, don't know how to read or write even their own name. It's not a knock on them, it's a knock on opportunity. They didn't have the opportunity to learn. And there's so many compounding problems when you don't have that opportunity. It's crazy. Like I, there's not even enough time in this podcast to get to it. So yeah, we saw that. Then we start to go to these farms and then we start to see these kids on the sides of the farms and they're just chilling. It's the middle of the day. And then we start to ask more questions and we start to find out that, you know, girls are, are getting married at the age of like 11 or 12 so that they can ease financial burden on their family so that uh, some other family can have to pay for them. And kids are going to start to farm in um, like going, going to the fisheries to start to fish. Uh, to to help their kids and uh, help their families make money. And it didn't matter that they weren't going to school because there wasn't any, any school nearby. The New York school is a four-hour walk away. And they don't have a car. They don't, they don't have any of this sort of stuff. And they can't sacrifice eight hours of their day to take, take their kids to school. So their kids just stay at home. And then eventually they start working. And nobody, and nobody learns. And so, okay, well, how are we going to fix that? Well, okay, all these kids are in the same uh, age group, all this sort of stuff. We ended up looking around. We found this... Um, a uh, great foundation that I I, I I can't nail the pronunciation of, so I'm not going to try, but the, <laughs> the, but the acronym is MEK, um, and you can look on our website for, for more. Um, and they, uh, they help build these schools. They're uh, single classroom Montessori style schools um, in, in, throughout Egypt. Uh, they won the UNESCO award uh, for their work, um, in, in poverty alleviation and, and especially, uh, their, their, their help to, um, prom- promoting just, you know, women as a society and help, especially providing opportunity to young girls. And so we ended up ch- ch- uh, talking with them and, uh, uh, and then decided to make, uh, make a partnership of it and, um, said, Hey, you know what? We, in the first two years, we made enough money or like we have enough sort of left over to, to create one of these schools. Why don't we just like 
give some of that money over to them um, and we'll build a school. And so in, I think it was 2016, uh, it was a pretty awesome thing to be able to share. Um, hey guys, we, we built a school <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and here's the kids in it. Um, it, it, it then turned into a thing that we started to do every black Friday. And so the black Friday preceding that we knew that this was gross. We knew that we didn't really want to be part of this, this, uh, you know, consumer fest. And so we sent out this email just saying, we're not going on sale. And there was like a gif of somebody like punching through a box and everybody's like chaos in a mall or something. And, and everybody loved the email and we, it was our best sales day that year anyway. And we're like, Whoa, that's crazy. But then we didn't want to just say the same thing again next year. So instead what we did was we said, okay, you know what we're going to do is we're going to put a hundred percent of our sales today towards trying to reach another school. And all of a sudden it was like more sales than we'd done in, in several months. We did in that one day. And I was like, okay, this is crazy. And now we're, we know we're onto something. Um, and so now, now we do the same thing. So we, we put a percentage of our sales um, forever. And we, we actually have corporate documents that are signed off that um, so that like legally in our company, we can't change it. This is part of the code. And that's part of what you have to do to uh, uh, protect yourself against just the, the bad habit of greenwashing is you have to like put this stuff in writing, like get it to be part of your corporate documents and then, and then, you know, put your money where your mouth is. And so, um, so that, yeah, we started doing that. And for the last few years, we've been doing that on black Friday. And we've also been putting a, a percentage of our, um, sales all year long towards, towards similar initiatives. Um, and, uh, this last year we completed our seventh school uh, in Egypt. And so, yeah, hoping to get to the, you know, the, the goal that we put up in the air is, 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 uh, 50 by 2025, but you know, we want to make sure that we're also doing the right thing. So that's also a thing to go back and, and check, is this the right way of doing it? You don't just do it for the sake of doing it. And for some big number, mm-hmm. um, you don't just say some number cause it's a great marketing thing. And then, and then you just keep going that direction. You have to get your gut check. You have to say, is this leading to the outcomes we want? Are these outputs of schools leading to what we expected to see? And if not, why not? And then how do we adjust for it? Um, so yeah, that's a bit of a long-winded uh, ranting answer, but uh, <laughs> that hopefully great. that sort of got to it. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, I feel like you, I, I think what's so great about what you guys are doing, first off, like to me, true sustainability in the biggest sense of the word is education. And the fact that you guys are taking that mm-hmm. to the next level is just so, so, so cool. Um, and I think you also nailed it in the sense that a lot of people just do things because it sounds good or because they, they, they have the right intention, but they don't think through the first principles. Um, and the example that comes to mind is like Tom's shoes, mm. uh, you know, the one for one and, and yeah, it's great. Tom's is, you know, give it what, when they started, like, yeah, we're going to give one pair of shoes away. But then at the same time, that just decimated all of these small local suppliers that were making shoes in some of these countries, because now the whole market was just flooded with Tom's shoes. Right. Um, and not, not to mention know? some of the, the environmental impacts and all this sort of stuff and the costs that, that were associated with all the production. And then they have to make, you know, the shoes worse and now all of a sudden there's this waste and all that, but yeah, no, exactly. totally, you know, for the sake of doing it, I mean, it, you know, it, it did help them blow up and they, they did adapt their model over time too, and do a lot of pretty interesting stuff, uh, responding to, uh, the criticism that was, you know, valid and not. And, um, and I, I got to definitely give it up to Tom's for, uh, pioneering some of this area and at least um, bringing awareness to it. Um, and I think what you said is exactly right about education. Um, 
like it, it's about you know once you learn something and you and you know it know it like you can't unlearn it otherwise you're being ignorant right and so mm-hmm. uh or and so you can be naive, right? But it's important to learn. And so that was, it's, it's part of our thing with education. And this is like, if, if, you know, we didn't know about how close, how bad the clothing industry was about how bad traceability standards were about how bad this, how dire the situation was until we learned it. And then once we learned it, we couldn't, we couldn't unlearn it. We couldn't unsee what we've seen. Like you open Mm -hmm. Pandora's box, you can't just close it, you know? And, but but how are these people supposed to make better decisions if they don't know the answers to start with? And so take that all the way down to like, you're going to education. I mean, talking about privilege, like in Canada, we got so much awesome stuff. I get to go to school for free. Not only is school for free, I got some of the best teachers. I get to go to the hospital with the best doctors, get treated for free, all sorts of stuff. I take it totally for granted. And then you go mm-hmm. and see what's, what, what the expectations were. And the cool thing is, is like, you go to these communities and they're not depressed that they don't have this. They're grateful for what they have. They actually mm-hmm. have a better sense of what it means to be grateful and, and what true value is and what's really important than, than like pretty much myself or anybody I know do. And they're like, all I care is my family. All I care is this love. All I care are these things. We made a film about it. Um, that I'm just talking about is it. it's like, they're the coolest people I've ever met. They're just so, so incredible. And once we started to give, these sorts of opportunities, it's like, how can we just do this more? How can we do this as much as possible? And we have to do it, you know, in a sustainable way, financially as well. That's an important thing. You have to put the right incentives in place in order for people to make those decisions. So we have to make it wildly profitable for us to make the right decisions so that companies like um, H&M, who are, who are now doing a lot of good stuff, like companies like all these different, you know, these different global corps are saying, Hey, you know, they're stealing market share from us. Let's go do good stuff too. Um, so part of the short-term bad effects out of that are greenwashing where they just say the thing, but thankfully the market reacts and they say, Hey, that's bullshit. Uh, prove mm-hmm. it. And so, um, you know, so, so that's, that's the market course correcting and people can vote with their dollar. And that's, that's something that's incredible. And so mm-hmm. how can we set up those right incentives and how can we do it right? And then, and then just see how things react. Like our last school we wanted to build, but we couldn't, we couldn't build, there was no plot of land to buy. We couldn't do it. This one guy, he doesn't know how to read anything. He gave us his land for free. This is like the one asset he has. He gave it to us for free so we could build a school on it so we could teach the community. You know what he said? He's, we, we talked to him. He says, I'm just hoping that one day my kid can grow up and he can tell me what that billboard down the road says. I didn't want to give the heart to him that it's like a McDonald's billboard and it probably says it's just something terrible, but it's just like a hilarious, you know, he, he, it's like, it's something so serious, so impactful. And he brings that sort of levity to it. It's like, I, I wish I could enter every day with the problems that I have and just take that sort of perspective and say, oh my gosh, like, you know, just like sort of level set that. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm t- totally going off, off point now, but, uh, <laughs> but, but I, uh, but I, I'm, I'm totally with you. Brayden. And, and, and how do you deal with the hate? Like, have you guys had any people that come and say like, Oh, what you guys are doing is, is like, you know, do you guys get any hate or have you dealt with any criticism for how you're doing it? What, how would you criticize what? <laughs> well, I'm just curious. I'm just curious. Hey, Cause I mean, you know, there's all, there's always, haters. there's always going to be people that criticize okay. everything. So <laughs> tell me this one. Okay. Okay. I'm, I don't get me wrong. I think that I literally like, I feel like I need to now go and I need to go to Egypt and build 
<laughs> the the other whatever 39 schools left or whatever it is after this conversation you two know so much more about this topic than i do because you're in the apparel space and you're very like minded and, and knowledgeable about what has to happen what's going on i went down a rabbit hole when i was looking into kind of all the research about this stuff and every time i learned something new i was like oh no oh no i should not yeah. buy clothes anymore and i could just walk around naked and then for Braden, for you to have enough context to know that there's people out there who are probably going to criticize the things you're doing and for then you ben to be like oh yeah it happens i'm like what what do you okay no, please man. tell me like what's the thing man. like it's not okay there's two there's two sides to this one is i like one of my favorite hobbies is to try and get trolls who are hating on us to buy from us like how do i respond to somebody who's hating and then get them to buy because it's like just kind of a fun practice and it's it's also like a bit like like masochistic but um but then (laughs) separate separate from that like it's like that good better best never let it rest right like we're not we do we're scratching the surface we're not remotely we're not we're not there yet like b corp certifications like you don't get certified and now you're it's the checkbox you're done like there is so much room to improve in every area there's room to improve in how we treat our employees there's room to improve in the ways we source material cotton uses a ton of water there's a lot of ways where we can prove that we started working this past year with uh, the better cotton initiative it would have sounded sexier for us to work with organic cotton but it didn't solve some of the problems that we actually want to go after and some of the practices that bci did uh which Again, I'm not, sounds like I'm a hype man for H&M now, but they actually helped found this initiative. And it's an open standard that people can adapt. And so we we leveraged that to help because it was a better way of more responsibly sourcing cotton that would draw less water in the environment. We set up routes through our things that can help reduce the carbon emissions because they can, they can go less distance. But there's always so much room to improve. It's like you don't pat yourself on the back. So like, do haters get me down? Like they do, but there's always room to improve. And it's nice to have that challenge. And part of the thing too is like, being an entrepreneur and and starting anything on your own, no matter what it is, if it's a business, if it's a hustle, if it's just a practice or or an art, like it's about rising to the challenge. And it's about having people challenge you and saying, hey, you should do this better and then go do it better. We had just posted a thing. There was an influencer who who sent us a photo and, and we like posted it. And then we thought, oh, this looks so cool. And there was all this hate about how she's too skinny and you better model diversity and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, on the one hand, guys, this is a human. You got to treat her with some more respect. But on the other hand, you know what? Like there's one lesson on we got to treat people better. And then there's a second thing on, hey, we can do better with body diversity. We, we can do better with this, this representation. And so, so that, that's a lesson too. Like just because half of what they said was wrong doesn't mean the other half wasn't right. Mm-hmm. I worked at Apple a long time ago and um, there was this, always this lesson of like, you know, um, assume positive intent. And I mean, it, it was really a thing of like <laughs> trying, it's, it's sort of different, like customers always right type of thing. But I, it's, it is a philosophy that I try and do. And I try and say, all right, this, these people probably aren't trying to tear this person down. Maybe they didn't do it in the right way. Maybe they didn't have the right tactics. Maybe they didn't have their delivery. But what, what did they intend to do? And then how can I help deliver that? Um, and so, you know, haters like, some people are trolling and that's, that's, you can just brush that off. You know, it doesn't really, you know, whatever, just delete the comment and they, they're just doing it to get a rise at you. And that's fun or fun for them. Not fun for, fun, fun for them. Um, yeah, exactly. But, but you know, uh, people who say something like, you know, something negative about it, the best kind of feedback is specific and constructive. And sometimes that's a positive and sometimes that's negative, but not everybody's good at giving specific constructive feedback. 
my challenge is how do I take their feedback if it's maybe generic and destructive? How do I try and find what they're saying that could be specific and constructive and figure out a plan to improve ourself? Um, so, so that's sort of how I take that. But yeah, there's, I mean, nobody's, you're never perfect and there's always going to be somebody that's going to find the flaw because um, you're going to make mistake, mistakes, but it doesn't mean that the whole is wrong um, and that's okay. And it doesn't let you get you down. You just, you just, you just press on. I, I definitely think it would be like, I don't want to, um, I don't think I'm in challenge or like we're in competition with other sustainable brands. I don't think we're in competition with anything. I think we're in competition with worse, worse ways of living. Um, and we all have to be in it together. We have to support each other. I love like the, you know, these, the, the Casca guys, um, and, and the, the team. And I, I love these like approaches of doing things and just generally like, how can we just do this in a better way? Um, mm-hmm. and so I, I, you know, that's a call to action for everybody to bring each other up and to be positive and to be supportive, but not the hate part, but definitely like constructive <laughs> feedback. And right? improving. Like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm giving you generic feedback that you're doing great, but I don't, but I don't make it specific on a way that you can actually improve. It's not actually that helpful. So some of the just like sweeping praise that we get to, um, from, from people like, it's, it's nice. I'd like, thank you, but it's not, it's also not helpful. Um, definitely makes me feel a little bit better than, than like general hate. Um, but, uh, but you know, there it's, there's, it's not all bad, you know? Yeah. There are so many sound bites of what you just said that I feel like are perfect. I'm gonna have to add them to the description for this podcast (laughs) because that is honestly like the point of this is like, there's always so much to learn in so many different areas. And if you're not learning, you're not improving. And, you know, one question that we ask everyone is, uh, what is one piece of advice that you would give people when it comes to the topic that we're talking about? And in this case, you know, we've, we've talked pretty widely about sustainability. So what is the, what is the one piece of advice that you think people can, can take away to have an impact on inching closer towards true sustainability in the sense of a mental shift to, you know, Mm. looking at things the way you guys have from the way that you get your, your materials and your cotton to post, like to, to the point of improving education. Mm. Um, and I guess that's a super loaded question, but how, what, what would you tell some, like the average consumer or the average person, how can you take a step towards being more truly sustainable in that overarching sense? Yeah. Um, it is a big question, but I, I actually think I have a bit of an answer. Um, it was related to, uh, some advice around sales that I was giving earlier, um, (laughs) which will seem weird, but you can only do, you, you can't do everything all at once, right? Like you can only do one thing at a time. Um, you, there's no such thing as multitasking. You're just switching tasks rapidly. And so you are only doing one thing at a time and you can either do it directionally well or directionally poorly. And you have to have an understanding. So I'd say the first thing is just gain awareness. Just try and learn, try and get as much context as you possibly can. We didn't know that we should build an ethical brand until we saw that there were problems. So we didn't think that that was even a thing. We didn't even say that, hey, we're building an ethical brand. We're just like, we're just making a brand and separately we have principles. And so part of it was like, we have to understand what do we actually have to take a stance on? And we don't know what to take a stance on until we know what is there. So there's a great documentary called The True Cost. That's a great place to start. And you can learn a lot about clothing there. Um, and that was came out the same year uh, we had started. And, and um, 
really informed a lot of, you know, where we started to, to see. And you're just looking for a compass for where, where should I be pointed? And there's this other thing, like, because I've done a lot of our marketing and growth stuff and all this sort of thing. And early on in the days, you're like, you really feel like you need 100% clarity. I need 100% accuracy. Like, why isn't this attribution model 100% perfect? And it doesn't actually change your decision. It doesn't necessarily, like, you just need enough information to feel pretty confident that you're directionally headed in the right way. If it's a fork in the road, you just want to know, do I go left or do I go right? And so mm-hmm. all you have to do is like, just this applies to, for me to anything is like, if you're trying to improve, just gain enough awareness to be directional and put things into a quadrant of like, you know, good, bad, easy, hard, and choose like the good, easy way. And then go down that way, you know, cause, and, and just keep focusing there. And then as you go, you're going to need more and more context. You're going to need more and more, um, you know, like you'll have to get more and more accurate with your data because the stakes are higher. And so to be more confident that that is the directionally correct way, you do have to be a little bit more accurate, but in the early days, it's pretty simple. It's like when you, when you're going shopping, just say, do I need this thing? When you're going shopping, check your closet, you know, see, do you already have it? So just like wear it. I often forget that I even have clothes. And so go like discover your closet again. And you can do that all the time. Check your fridge before you go shopping. You know, like what do you actually have? Oh shit. Did I buy another block of feta? Like probably don't need that feta. And now I'm going to throw it out. Um, You know, we use a meal delivery kit. Part of it is a convenience, but part of it is because I felt really bad about throwing food all the way all the time because I didn't know how to shop efficiently. And I wasn't we, like, not me, <laughs> I suck at shopping in general, but my wife was <laughs> helping me with a lot of the shopping and mostly doing it. Um, and, and, and then I like didn't check the fridge, didn't know it was in there, and I don't know how to make anything. And so a lot of food would get wasted. And she's like, oh, well, I bought this for you. And I bought this for you. Why didn't you eat it? Well, shit, I didn't even know it was there. So you got you to gotta sort of take a look behind the curtain. You've got to gain a lot of awareness. I think that's where it starts is just trying to learn as much as possible, absorb, and then don't beat yourself up and just try and do the best you can with what you know. And that's kind of all you can ask. And, and if you just try and take a bit of a lighthearted approach to it, don't be so serious. Um, celebrate others and provide feedback where you can. And if you know something, help, help them. Like if you took the time to learn something and you got like, oh shit, I got this insight about how to be, how to live in this better way then if you see somebody not doing that thing, say it, but try and say it in a way where they're going to listen to it. And that's going to be specific constructive feedback that if, if you really don't have anything nice to say, you could at least, you know, maybe frame it with acknowledging what you assume their intentions were. And, and I think that's like the really important thing is just try and learn and then just try and share that learning so that we can all like lift ourselves up together. Mm -hmm. The good, easy way. That's what I'm saying. I like it. There, there have been so many just key things said in this podcast. Like one of the things I love is um, greed for good, which is just, I was just like, yes, that just, it just makes so much sense. Um, Because if one of the motivations for people is to kind of just think about their version of success, then use that as a carrot. I'm saying that's, that's, that's amazing. Is there anything right now that you or cotton is doing that you'd like to share anything coming down the pike that you can that you're allowed to share sure um i guess i'll share a couple things so there's some stuff that's coming that i'm really excited about we got you know we were really pumped about 2020 for all these products that were going to come out and a lot a lot didn't 
make the cut because of um, the changes. 2020. Change, 2020, <laughs> yeah. 2020 slapped everybody in the face um, and, and said, it, now yeah, what? Sure. Um, and it, so it was, it was not an easy year. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that we were set up on e-commerce uh, in a pretty good way. And I'm glad we had a lot of those things figured out. Uh, and I'm glad we had so many passionate people on our team um, and that we were able to find several more that were so fantastic. So, so that's awesome. Um, hopefully, hopefully we'll see, but things are really starting to tune in until there's a lot of great products that are coming. Um, uh, but I'll, I'll let my marketing team like, uh, save the hype for when they actually come. But I will talk about something else that we're doing that isn't as public and it's something where I'm spending a lot of my time. So part of our goal when we started, wasn't just it. Like I did want to make a cool fashion brand cause that's cool. Um, but it was to change the way stuff's made for better. And so part of that was, okay, we've built now last something we've been doing now for the past couple of years sort of in stealth but it's starting to become more public and i'm starting to tweet and whatever about it is we've built this asset of a trans a traceable supply chain we know where the farm is that a t-shirt was made you know came from so what we wanted to do was okay our, what's our best way to make the best supply chain well our best way is to make more stuff well, how do we make more stuff in a better way that also isn't like selling things that are useless and selling, like forcing people to buy more when they don't need to? Well, we need to do it through more outlets. And so, okay, well, what what else are we seeing in the world? What were we seeing? This is a really hard thing to do. Like the amount of hours that we put into building the supply chain is insane. And so we thought, well, that's kind of a lot of, a lot of value. And so what if we can save people who also want to do this thing a lot of the time and, and headache? to help them tap in. And so we started doing that in three ways. The first way was we started working with startups to make merch. Every freaking startup has startup merch. Most of it is shit, frankly. There you'll get the sustainable option or something or whatever, but like it's all pretty bad. Um 70% of merch is thrown out within 2 weeks. Most stuff is terrible. You are wasting your money. People want to do it because it helps improve improve employee morale. And if worn, it actually gets quite a lot of um, quite a lot of impressions on influential people. Uh, if you're a, di- a software engineer and you're wearing your startup's hoodie and you're wearing it amongst your friends who might also be start- software engineers, then you know maybe they uh, you know your name's Cindy and you show it to Sharon and Louise, and now Sharon and Louise are like, oh, that's a cool hoodie. I want to come work at your startup or tell me what your startup is or starts a conversation. Um, if you, you know, so that that's really interesting. And then also just walking around the street, if you have a great hoodie that you really love, and you wear it, and it has your company's logo on it, then okay, cool, you're just creating a little bit of brand awareness. And if you look at this, the CPMs on Facebook these days, it's not cheap. So the first thing we started doing was like, hey, let's make startup merch for people that want something better that the team's actually going to like. So that's something we started doing. At first, we call it ordinary supply. We now call it cotton supply, they're all kind of rolling in, but you'll see, you'll see some website changes and stuff over the, the next little bit. Um, and then the next thing we started doing, which was last year, was we said, okay, well, look, there's all these creators like TikTok and, uh, and then artists, all this sort of stuff. Um, th- I mean, with the pandemic, one thing we noticed was there was two things. One was uh, everybody moved away from their office, so it made team merch a little bit harder. Uh, thankfully, we've kind of figured out some stuff, so it's a little bit easier now. But for a short period of time, it was like, this is probably dead in the water. But the other thing that happened was there are all these people... One of the coolest things that had happened uh, or one of the most fun growth tools that we used in the past was partnering with these like influential artists that we really love to make uh, limited edition uh, T-shirts uh, and, and, you know, sweatshirts, hoodies, whatever different products like that. Uh, and their, their fans would love it. 
Um, and then here comes a pandemic and um, a lot of these creators who would thrive on, for instance, like, you know, they're a tattoo artist or something like that, uh, are all of a sudden, they don't have their sources of income anymore. Like, so the first person, <clears throat> so we made this call to say, hey, what if we use this thing and we do a sort of like new take on print on demand? And what we're going to do is we're going to power everything. We're going to make everything that is hard and shit about making a brand easy and fun. And we're going to make you money and we're not going to charge you a dime. And so the first person we worked with was this incredible artist named Jess Chen. She's like just one of the like coolest people I've ever had the pleasure of, uh, of meeting and um, has great artwork. She's a huge following on, on Instagram for great reason. But she was making her money through her tattoo studio that she can't now do anymore. So we said, hey, like, why don't we partner? Like, let's make this stuff. And you, we've done some stuff for you in the past. We sold like 40 T-shirts of your thing pretty quick. So we think we could probably even sell more if we, and then we can just pump it up a little bit more or whatever. So we quickly built this little solution. Um, we like it, we set up, it embeds right into your website. Um, so she, we got her set up in like less than an hour. She sent us some designs. We made some different stuff. Um, and then she started, she like, we then go out and launch. She ended up doing 40 grand in a day. Uh, it was wow. like, wow, damn, yo, I want that day. Um, so <laughs> that was like, that was so sick. And she just like, you know, popped it up. Now she's an incredible merchant. She has a great eye for design. She knows how to engage with her fans. She built a really loyal community. Um, so it's not like everybody gets that, but we did that sparked this opportunity of where we said, Hey, what if we can take people like Jess Chen, these incredible artists that, um, really have this incredible potential to create these brands of the future. And what if we empower them with our supply chain and all of the, just the headaches, like what if we just deal with headaches that we've just become accustomed to from probably just ODing on Advil to like help helping them launch this stuff better. And so that's something we've been doing. We've worked with about 60 different creators now, um, creating, uh, these like sort of like micro brands for them um, and, and spreading those out. And so if there's other creators uh, that have a great audience, uh, think that they could really make a go of it um, and want to get started that are listening, uh, feel free to hit me up, bennettcotton.com and, and, uh, or find me on Twitter uh, at Benjamin sale. And uh, yeah, I'd love to chat. Like it's something that we're exploring more and more um, trying to build. And I'm, it's pretty cool. Like, you know, Jess Chen went from having no, uh, I mean, I'm sure she had other revenue sources as well, but, uh, at least her primary one sort of gets shut down because of COVID. And then, you know, I don't know how much <clears throat> money she was generating then, but makes a whole lot more and makes it in a, in a better way and didn't have to spend a dime up front. So that's something that I'm really, really pumped about now and spending a lot of time on, on solving and trying to make it better so we can get even more uh, opportunity, create even more entrepreneurs. Um, and just, as I said, together, like uh, before, like band together uh, and like support each other for good and, and kind of like all go on in a, as this coalition. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what we're working wow. on now. Wow. 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 So it's one, you said you have about 60, you have 61 now. Cause I'm going to be doing some stuff for you guys. <laughs> that's, that's phenomenal. Um, and I'm saying, wow. Cause literally last week I had, uh, somebody ask me about my opinion for, um, things for their business and they wanted to use good quality, but ethically sourced materials for their employees, for their shirts and for their hoodies. And I was kind of like, there are these companies or these companies and maybe these, but now I'm going to (laughs) be able to to kind of, when that pops up, tell them, Oh, but you got to use cotton supply. Yeah, thanks, man. Yeah. So yeah, you, you can go to our website. Uh, you know, I think cotton.com links to it. If it doesn't, I'm definitely going to add that soon, but otherwise it's cotton.supply or cotton Uh, yeah, we work with, with teams, 
Uh, and it, and financing and stuff works different for different folks. Um, if you're if you're like a, a, an artist creator that has a big community, but you don't have that much cash uh, liquid, uh, no worries, we'll front it and um, and do it on a revenue share basis. Um, and if you're a company you want to buy for your team, uh, we all otherwise do it more of a standard wholesale way too. So um, and try and just make it uh, fair and equitable for everybody, and and just try and get uh, better stuff out to more people. A good easy way. Right, That's right. We're almost done, but I'm then like, you just piqued my interest. I'm so amazed. Like I'm so hyper right now. I got um, I got no time left right now for next. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the with cotton supply, are you doing it kind of like? Let's make sure that we have a certain amount when we're doing an order to make sure that we're being as um efficient and thoughtful about product right now. And or is there an option to kind of do a print on demand type situation where I only have to print the shirts that the customer needs for yeah, said design? Yeah, it's exactly right. It's like no waste, right? That's what we want to make sure of. So yeah. um, so what we do is uh, there's there's certain products that we already have that are these like great blank canvases that you can get started on, like, a t- you know, like standard T-shirts, hoodies, that sort of thing. And so if it matches up with one of those. We can get going. There's no minimums. There's no start. We don't actually make it until it's done. Um, we typically do things in like these little one week drops. So that's more for that like print on demand upfront thing. Yeah. And, or, or like not upfront, but like, um, you know, you, you can just launch, you start with your stuff and, and then let the audience decide. Um, there are like, you know, some fixed costs, like how much money it costs to set up a screen and stuff. Instead of charging you that, we just disperse it over the, the cost of the garment. And so um, there's like, you know, we're trying to hit certain targets of how many units we got to do. Uh, to be honest, like it's so new, we're still figuring a lot of this stuff out. So if you know, uh, if you're listening, and you want to do this, but you have an idea about how it should work better, like I'm open to it, I, I want to, you know, always improve um, and, and, and adjust the model. So uh, we're not rigid in our ways by any means. But um, yeah, there's basically we have two options. One is like, you don't pay anything up front, it's like a revenue share, and it works on as sort of like print on demand. Or otherwise, you have a set number of team members, or you have a community, or you have a brand, and you want to do something, um, and you you know exactly the number of units, and then you can just do that in all in one go. Um, and then there's if you don't have one of our products, typically uh, we don't unless you like you know um, we worked with this this poet uh, Rupi Kaur, um, who's who's like phenomenal, has a huge oh yeah uh, yeah yeah, so she has like a huge audience. Uh, and she was pretty confident that she she could sell some stuff. Uh, so we're like, listen, Ruby, we don't want to make a bunch of stuff that we don't know, um, where we don't know what the quantities are. And, you know, I mean, you see it all the time, especially watch True Cost and you'll see it like the amount of waste in the fashion industry is huge. And so just mm-hmm. burning and clothes and whatever, like how do you dispose of that stuff? Like Chanel burns, you know, excess bags, right? So, um, so what we did was first, let's make a t-shirt. Let's just see sort of what the level's at. And then we said, okay, that did pretty well. And then we made another one and that did even better. And then, okay, now she wants to go make some custom stuff. Okay, no problem. So like, we know, we know what we can do now. So now let's go and we'll make the stuff ahead of time. We'll like, we can work out financing, whatever. And we'll go um, make custom stuff from scratch. Uh, but, but at that point we knew that, okay, there, you know, minimums are much higher, all that sort of stuff, but we know where we're at. We can, we have some of those sort of expectations. And, and at that point then too, like she, she sold out in one day, I won't talk about figures, but like did, did, did quite well. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, sort of goes like that. So it depends on what you're doing. Like, uh, we worked with, uh, Shopify, 
who's like, you know, great, great partners and friends and um, made the stuff for, for um, like everybody on their team. We made uh, sweatsuits for everybody, uh, which was like an incredible partnership. We were really grateful to get. And they wanted to do a custom color, this like Shopify green and do it. I like, saw every- that. Yeah. So we made those. Yeah, yeah. So I have a, um, like a ton of friends who work for Shopify still. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, so yeah, we, I mean, yeah, so do I, so do I now that I love yeah. those guys. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, they wanted to do totally custom and, you know, they know how many employees they had. So, and yeah. obviously that met our minimums cause they're pretty, pretty big, uh, group now. And so, um, yeah, so, so, so then that, that way we could do that and go a lot more custom in that direction. So it all sort of depends. Um, obviously there's minimums to everything, but definitely there's stuff where, Hey, if we already have it, like, let's not make you have a minimum. If like, it's just sitting here anyway, we'll just do it on the print on demand style. And then if we have to go out and make it, let's just make sure that like, we're not going to create any waste. Um, you're not going to be overcharged, anything like that. You know, like I just want to make sure that it's it's that win win win. My family's about to be decked out in custom <laughs> cotton. Like you don't even, like, you don't even know the door that you just opened up. Like, you have no idea. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I don't like plugging myself too much, but um, I, I, thanks for giving that space to it. Yeah, man. Oh that's, yeah, that's phenomenal. So, where can people find you on the interwebs? Where are you? What are your handles? All that jazz. Yeah. So I'm. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much just on Twitter these days at Benjamin sale, S E H L. Um, I started recently, um, uh, well, I started it back in June and then I kind of stopped, but this like clubhouse club called shop class. Um, I'm at sale on that S E H L. Um, and you can follow, follow me there too, where I, uh, what we do there is if you're, if you're uh, listening to this, cause you, uh, also have a brand and, and you're just trying to hear other people that, um, uh, are entrepreneurs and have, have brands and, and, and trying to do some better than, um, we, we host talks on there. Uh, did one last night with, um, a couple awesome people where we were all talking about, um, uh, being business partners and life partners at the same time. And so the, 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 the positive negatives that come with that. Um, and we've done stuff on like on SEO and, and, and that sort of thing. And I try and get some, some great people. So yeah, you can find me at Benjamin sale on most places on the internet or, uh, on specifically on clubhouse at sale. Cause I was, quick to move on that one nice. an early guy in june one of the first okay <laughs> get it hold on boom follow and, that, and what was the name of the I'm, i just followed you on the on the clubhouse and was it shop class <laughs> it's called shop class yeah you, i think you can like tap on I, i'm st- like considering i've been on it for a while i i know so little but you can tap on my face and then there's like these bubbly letters that say shop class and you can tap on that and then hit follow in the group um, I'll, I'll add you as a member to it uh, if I see the if I see the follow come through. And we're Sweet. gonna have to do a clubhouse chat next. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm down, man. I'd love to have you guys That's, on. Yeah. And on. where can people find Cotton? Uh, yeah, kotn.com. Um, at kotn on uh, Instagram. Um, or pretty much on Instagram. That's like the main thing. So d- yeah, definitely find us there. Um, at kotn basics on um on twitter but uh we, we don't do that much stuff on there uh it's i'll probably be faster to respond to you than 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 the company will if you want to talk <laughs> complain about something <laughs> all right well ben thank you so so much this has been amazing greed for good the good and easy way and now everyone know everyone's you're gonna everyone's gonna want to make custom i mean it sounds like mike's getting his custom family outfit i'm gonna have to do custom just for brayden outfit <laughs> Dude, I'm already I following Cotton Supply on Instagram. Oh, that's All awesome. Right. Yeah, amazing, guys. Thanks awesome. so much. This was awesome. Thanks for coming, Ben. Cheers. So, Cotton. I'm going to have to get myself decked out in some cotton. 
I have a lot of their apparel and it's super, super comfortable. Um, Ugh, it's good. Super jelly. I can't believe I knew that they were doing a lot on the sustainability front and on, on just like the general being a good business side. But I feel like, how do you beat that? That was like, <laughs> they've covered the entire system and process. It's just crazy from the materials all the way to like education. Yeah. And it's like the actual thing that got me is the fact that they didn't start off with the mind of, oh, we need to be a sustainable company. They were like, let's make some dope stuff. And the process just became sustainable because mm-hmm. <laughs> they were like, oh, this is this is it, it's better this way. It, it's better for us. It's better for the farmers. It's better for the people. It's great. Like, that's just fantastic that a company was like, no, 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 let's just do it the right way in the beginning. Yeah. And I feel like when they hit speed bumps, they like kind of work from a sense of first principles and are always asking like, well, why is it done this way? Do we have to do it that way? I feel like you don't find a lot of people or a lot of companies, at least that are constantly questioning the status quo. However, you folks just like launched like a green shoe. And I mean, green and like the not one, the color is literally green. The color is green. (laughs) The color is green, but you it's made out of water bottles, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like an example of, We've, we, we've spent a lot of time refining the material that we use because what we're aware of when it comes to, quote, sustainability is that if you buy something where the material breaks down sooner, you're uh-huh. repurchasing an entire product. And so you kind of have to be treading that balance between uh, sustainability and also durability. And so we finally felt like the durability was there. And this was our first launch. But over the next year, our plan is to transition um, all of our products that are knit over to that same uh, water bottle material. I got to get me a green shoe, don't I? I know. I know. We got to make sure we get you walking around in the green. You've got the black right now, I think. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, But and and I guess like on that note, too, like even our leather shoes we use, um, they come from they're actually a byproduct of the meat industry. Oh. So the hides come from Tyson Foods where so even though we are using leather and that's actually another example because you have a lot of companies that like the quote vegan leather is like the hot thing right now. And really vegan leather is like another term for plastic leather. Like yeah. It's just they've done a better job at marketing it. Um and so you don't get the same you don't get a lot of the same durability or breathability that you do from normal leather. And so we still made that kind of holistic choice of like, Hey, well, if we're going to use leather, then how can we do it in the most sustainable way possible? And so that's why we made that choice. That being said, I do think like, it's going to be really cool to see what innovation comes uh, forward in the next five, 10 years with, you know, mushroom leather and some of this like lab grown leather mushroom leather yeah mushrooms are pretty good for for leather they have breathability and then like have you seen like i don't know if you've dude i'm learning everything now even things like lab grown leather um are something that you know they think is going to be the future of of kind of materials as well as meat lab grown wow i don't even know what to say i feel like i'm already in the future (laughs) (laughs) like step into the future right yeah. And I think that's like, you know, also what we're trying to do with the automating parts of the process and making sure that people's shoes fit properly, because you look at even something like shipping and returns and nothing is more painful to me than someone who buys three pairs of shoes that are all the same style because they want to try on three different pairs to see which one fits the best. And then they send back yeah. two. and I get yeah. it. Like, I understand that people want to make sure things fit. So I like, don't put any blame on the consumer, but it is like, I, I feel we should be leveraging technology 
to, you know, use your phone to scan your foot and see if it's going to fit and avoid that, the extra, you know, shipping pollution going from sending three pairs of shoes and then getting two back. Yeah. Cause you have to return those. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Anyways, that's my little sustainability rant. Sustainability <laughs> <laughs> rant, which is great. Cause I feel like there's so much that businesses and consumers are thinking about and expecting from the business from the companies they do business with that people weren't even thinking like, weren't thinking about 10 years ago weren't thinking about five years ago yeah i am it's gonna be an exciting next uh next 10 years like i in my mind the biggest innovation that's really happened in footwear at least we've had advancements in materials and whatnot don't get me wrong but really the biggest like fundamental shift happened with like the assembly line and you used to have your shoes individualized for you from your local shoemaker. And then, you know, with, with assembly lines and the industrial revolution, that was great. And that now we were able, people were able to create a lot of the, of one product, but we went from having shoes that were made for you to expecting people to fit into them. And then there was this huge focus on margin and this huge focus on like, like some of these companies want you to be, rebuy after three months. Like not a lot of shoot, not a lot of companies are are thinking about creating products that are actually durable because they'd rather have you come back and buy again three months later. Yeah, I've I've how do I say this without outing a company? I know of companies who literally that's the expectation and how they sell it to their customers. Yeah, where like literally it's three months. So the idea is like, oh, you should be. You should get two pairs of shoes so you can alternate between them because blah, 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 it's better for the shoe. Mm -hmm. And then if you are a runner, for example, you should probably be changing out your shoes every three months. It's like, well, if you made the shoes better, would they have to? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's why I think it's really cool. Like, that's why I love what Cotton's doing by focusing on sustainability on the supply chain side. Because that is, you know, we found a study from MIT that that said 70%, and this is just a footwear, not apparel, but 70% of the carbon footprint from a shoe comes from the manufacturing of that shoe. So if you're able to manufacture less shoes, that has a pretty substantial impact. Damn. So I feel like we can go down a rabbit hole myself. So maybe that's a whole bunch of research on them. I was like, oh, there's everything that is wrong with the fashion industry. And it was saddening. But then also um, very happy to find that there are so many companies and businesses changing the way the fashion industry and the apparel industry operates. Because from the consumer side, like, I don't know these things until you do some digging and like, oh, why is it like this? But Mm -hmm. now that we have got companies that are taking the active step to change things. Now as a consumer, I can now make the educated choice before I just wasn't educated to make that choice. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, maybe another, an episode for another time. (laughs) (laughs) The perils of the fashion industry. Well, on that note, thank you everyone for listening. And thanks again, Ben. This has been another episode of a lot to learn. As you know, we never stop learning. If you feel we miss anything or you want to share your insights with our community, feel free to leave a comment below or send us a note to info at casca.com. You can also follow along and hear other interviews on our journal at www.casca.com or on our Instagram at casca designs. Until next time.